Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Security SOS 2021 webinar series. My name is Paul Ducklin. Today, I am joined by Dr. Jason Nurse, and Jason is an Associate Professor in Cybersecurity at the University of Kent. And as you can see, today's topic is the intriguing sounding cyber insurance. Does it help or hinder cybercrime? Tricky question. So, Jason, to kick off, explain to us what is cyber insurance? And most importantly, how is it similar and how is it different from the insurance we've all got used to on things like cars and houses? Okay, great. Yeah, thank, thanks, Paul. And thanks for those kind of joining in to, to listen today. So cyber insurance has, has kind of, uh, I guess, jumped onto the scene for, for a few years now, and, and, but it's actually existed for, for quite a while. But the general aim behind cyber insurance is that it intends to basically be insurance that covers things like um, IT incidents. Uh, in particular, things like security incidents is how it's kind of probably much more well known these days. But it can also cover things such as uh, human error, loss of data and different things like this. But the general idea is just like with car insurance. So if, if you have car insurance or house insurance, you purchase this so that in scenarios where something bad happens, so for example, you get into a car accident or, or, or with a house, someone breaks into your home or, or there's a flood or a leak. The point is that the insurance provider is this, this party which you, who you pay premium amounts to, let's say once every year or, every few, or, or once every month, depending on your, your setup. And what you can do is it allows you to basically call them up in the, in the case of an incident and say, hey, this has happened. Um, can you support me through this? It could be support could be in various different um, ways. For example, it could be financial support. So they help you to get back up on your feet. Um, in, in case of a cyber incident, let's say um, there's been a break in, a loss of data, um, a cyber insurance provider can actually put you in contact with for example, forensics teams, incident response teams, and it can also help cover some of that cost around that incident. So the, the real aim and the real parallel is you really can think of it, uh, businesses can think of it as very, very similar to normal insurance that they might have. And it really tends to be, or it tries to be this kind of one-stop shop where if something happens, then um, someone can call up the insurer and the insurer can connect the business to the right parties to get the incident resolved and to get the company back up on its feet uh, as, as quickly as possible. But cyber, and this is where it's for, for kind of probably one of the kind of new novelty bits, it really tries to address this, this prominence these days of cyber attacks. And where, what we've seen cyber insurance kind of grow and grow in recently is situations where there are cyber attacks, where companies have lost data, they've, they've they've been offline, their, their cyber insurance provider is really going to help them get back upon their feet as quickly as possible. Uh, of course, assuming that, you know, you're, you have a relevant provider, you're paying your premiums and so on. I guess one of the most significant differences to think about from something like, say, car insurance, where let's say your car gets trashed, let's hope you're not injured, then in theory, if it's a, a reasonably popular model, then there's a pretty good chance that if the car can't be repaired, that the insurance company can find somewhere to buy the same model with similar mileage and basically put it in your driveway and you, you get the same car again, as it were. But if you've lost your data, if it's genuinely been deleted and can't be recovered, 
then cyber insurance can never have that result, can it? It can't magic your data back out of thin air. Yeah, that, that's completely true. I think there is there's definitely def a few different misconceptions around it. And I think in, in the context of situations such as the one you described, Paul, um, the reality is that cyber insurance can't help you very much in those situations. Uh, and it's really important, actually, for people to, when they're thinking about cyber insurance, to try to understand a bit more about what are kind of the, the appropriate limits and what it can cover and what it can't cover. So, for example, in some countries, cyber insurance doesn't cover things like fines or regulatory fines. And there's lots of there's a lot of kind of ethical discussions around that. And, and you know, for good reason. In oh, the so that would be like you, a data, if you had a data breach and you went to your insurance and said, oh, I just had to pay 4 million euros, they'd go, well, bad luck, shouldn't have broken the law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some, in some scenarios, yes, because, you know, some countries have, have basically said, um, in, you know, in, in situations where, you know, you have been fined, let's say GDPR fines or regulatory fines, and there's been good reason or good evidence to show that, well, actually, you did not do the things that you should be doing in terms of protecting people's data. And therefore, this resulted in the government or, or you know, industry or industry body finding you, then the insurer could turn around and say, well, no, we're not going to cover that because, you know, you should have had X, Y and Z in place. So there's all types of discussions around cyber insurance. And really, it's, you know, in many ways, there is no quote unquote standardized cover. So you, you, you right. can go to different parties and, and find different um, things available. Probably one key difference that I'll make, though, for, for those of you who are actually interested in cyber insurance, is that there's two general types of policies. So it's one policy, which is what, what we call kind of a standalone policy. And, and the thing about this policy is that this is very much kind of a separate policy completely. So it's very much like a house insurance policy or property policy where it's completely separate. So you go to a provider and you say, I want to buy a standalone policy. And the good thing about this policy is that it will tend to have more things included. So it will have more support in the case of a breach and more things that they might give you probably even as soon as you sign up to the policy. But then there are also packaged policies and packaged policies are very much, you know, think of it once again, like if you know your house insurance policy, when you buy house insurance, the provider might say, oh, do you want to pay an extra five pounds a month or five pounds a year to cover your, your mobile phone as well. And with package policies, what it might be the scenario where you have a policy with an insurance provider, let's say a professional indemnity policy, and they say, oh, well, do you want to tack on, you know, add, buy a, a cyber insurance add-on for this amount, this, this amount um, per year additionally? And the key thing about that is, even though that has benefits, it does uh, traditionally not cover as much as a standalone policy. I guess that's because it's sort of a one-size-fits-all in the same way that if you wanted to insure your mobile phone against absolutely everything that could possibly happen to it, that's unlikely to be done in a, well, just tack it on for five quid a year to, the, to your regular insurance. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. In scenarios where you're just getting this add-on, you're clearly not paying as much. And the reality is that you don't get as much back from it. You don't get as much in terms of the claim amounts that you can, you can make, the limits and so on. You know, some package policies might not even cover popular attacks such as ransomware, which are, you know, is kind of rife at, at this point in time. Jason, I think that's uh, an opportune moment to move on to the second question about cyber insurance, that of, is it actually bringing with it, is it essentially the cause of some cybersecurity related problems? And, you know, the, the big criticism you hear relates indeed to ransomware, where your data's gone. If you don't have backup, then there is essentially no way of recovering files except buying the decryption key from the crooks, assuming they haven't made a blunder in their programming. 
And, you know, there are many cases where cyber insurance companies, presumably because their job is to get you back on the road again, and the only solution is to pay. So they do come up with the money. And some people are saying, well, that's a real problem because that's what's making the ransomware demand so high. The crooks know that the insurance company does have $2 million, whereas you probably don't. And therefore, cybersecurity should never cover ransomware. And that's unethical and almost immoral. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a hotly kind of contended topic. And it's really, there's lots of different sides to it. I, well, let's look at the pros and cons of insurance, for, for example, in these scenarios. So in cases where, um, let's say, cyber insurance was not allowed to pay ransoms or cyber insurance providers didn't cover ransoms, what we would have is a number of, basically, a number of cases where companies went bust. And the, the reality is here that attackers know and attackers are very aware of the pressure points in, in society. And during the COVID pandemic, the pressure points have been things like um, healthcare, and they have been things like hospitals. They have been kind of research facilities working on vaccines. They have been schools. And the reality is that, yes, in some in many of these scenarios, organizations might not have been able to pay on their own. Cyber insurance basically comes in and allows, in some of these scenarios, provides a kind of almost, you know, a way out in terms of allowing them to, uh, allow companies to kind of box back in terms of uh, paying ransoms. Now, in the, in the case where these ransom payments were not allowed, these companies would have either had to shut down, would have stopped functioning. It could have impacted people's lives. It could, people could have died. You know, a number of general services could have been, could have been impacted. Uh, so that's kind of one of the, I guess, the pros in, in having cyber insurance in that it can support um, scenarios where payments maybe can be made and whether should be made is another thing. But I completely understand the argument that many people are kind of arguing that cyber insurance is, you know, leading or one of the big pushes um, for this kind of increase in, in uh, ransomware attacks that we're seeing. But I think it's much more complicated simply because attackers will um, attack organizations, whether they have insurance or not. Uh, and they will basically try to push companies as far as possible to see whether they pay out or not. But it's really kind of a very, very complex issue in terms of, you know, should companies pay, shouldn't, shouldn't they pay? Is paying funding, um, you know, things like organized crime, is things is is payments covering things like child trafficking, all and, and terrorism even, and these are all kind of very very complex problems, which I think we're only at the tip of actually kind of properly investigating. Yes, I think I agree with you there. That it, my advice to people is don't pay, but I also like to say if you decide that you essentially have to do a deal with the devil and you have to pay. I'm not going to stand in judgment of you because it's easy for me to say don't pay when it's not my business and my 200 staff who depend on their work for their living looking down the wrong end of the barrel. I think another thing um, which I think is actually really important to this, this current discussion is, so even, even let's say the scenario where payments were banned completely, this is just picking up on one of the points that you mentioned. What's going to happen is that attackers are going to really try to test the resolve of businesses and test the resolve to which people businesses will actually not pay. And what will happen is that some businesses will be forced to pay and they won't tell anyone that they'll pay. And the attacker will now kind of have them twice because one, they'll have their data. And then two, they'll have the fact that they paid, which is breaking the law. So they're going to be even deeper in debt to the attacker. And what we'll see is that even that become an even more complex and risky situation for for these businesses. And I think that's another key point as well that we have to remember in that I don't think even, even banning payments is as simple as, you know, payments are banned and no one is going to do it. It's just going to push this, this reality underground for, for probably quite a while 
and we won't have the transparency around what's actually happening, what type of attacks are we seeing, what type of payments are being made. So I think there's, a, there's I guess, insurance and, and not banning payments, at least at this point in time, does also allow some form of transparency such that we can actually better understand what's actually going on with ransomware. Hopefully track it to the extent we can actually try to better um, deal with it. Yes, that's a really good point that by, by driving things like the payments underground, you actually make it worse. The flip side of that is that cyber insurance companies, and I know this from talking to someone who works for a cyber insurance company, they don't like paying those ransoms any more than any company does. It's not like they're doing it because they want to. They're doing it because it's sort of written into the policy that they're meant to get your business running again. So I imagine that what we will see is increasingly strict exclusions in the same way that maybe some car insurers these days are saying, you know what, we will drop your premiums if you allow us to monitor your driving in real time. And if you're prepared to let us have your driving history based on engine monitoring, for example, then the kickback to you is that we will trust you more. Some insurers actually try to nudge companies towards this in that, you know, well, yes, we're, we're happy to lower your premium if you let us put a black box on your network where we can actually monitor and help and see what's actually going on. And basically have a better idea of your risk exposure. Companies are, probably, are, are not keen based on what we've seen because of the insight that that gives the insurer into their internal systems. And it's probably very similar as it relates to kind of black box and on cards in that maybe the average person yeah. doesn't want their insurer to know exactly what they're doing and where they're going and how they're driving and so on. So, but I, I completely understand your point in that. And I completely agree that insurers don't want to pay uh, ransoms. And we've actually seen some insurers actually exclude ransomware um, in particular because they recognize how significant of a threat it is. And for other insurers, we've seen that over the last year, actually, and this is linked to, of course, COVID, but also in the boom in, in ransomware, the boom in ransomware payouts. But we've seen what was a very large cyber insurance market before with a lot of providers actually shrink gradually towards what we call kind of a hard market where um, they're less insurers. And the, the good thing about this is that because they're less insurers, insurers can be a bit more, cyber insurers can be a bit more demanding in what they request from, from individuals. So in a soft market, what happens is that you have so many providers that if a company goes to, come to, to insurer A and says, I want to buy a cyber policy, insurer A says, okay, sure, but you have to have ISO 27,000. The company might say, oh, well, not sure about that. And they go to insurer B and insurer B just says, oh, you just have to have this one control and I'll underwrite it. What you see, therefore, is that insurers don't really have this power to, to nudge companies towards better security. And that's in a soft market where there are many, many providers what we're seeing now is that because the number of providers have actually had to leave the market because of increasing ransomware payouts and, and of course, uh, impacts of co large, large kind of COVID payouts, what we see now is a bit of a harder market where they're less insurers, they're kind of insurers that have really heavily invested in understanding cyber risk and in kind of um, writing kind of strong, robust policies. Insurers now, actually, probably more than they've ever been before, are in a much better um, position to nudge companies towards saying, Yes, if you want to buy this type of insurance policy, that's fine, but you have to have controls X, Y, and Z in place. And it's not a case of just going to the next insurer and hoping that they won't request these controls. So insurers are much more cautious these days about the policies that they underwrite. I guess the good side of that is it means that cyber insurance won't end up being that thing where you put your money instead of investing in actual cybersecurity that could prevent attacks in the first place. 
there's a lot of value for businesses in, in saving insurance just because it, it starts to nudge them towards thinking about what they should put in place or what they shouldn't put in place. And so the insurers can actually provide, I like to think of them as kind of uh, an aggregator where they can actually uh, provide a, a broader understanding of the security within companies and across different sectors and so on. So we've, we've traditionally relied on security companies quite a bit for, for providing good understanding in terms of cybersecurity attacks and stuff like that. And I do think that there's a strong position for them there. For, for cyber insurers, I think where there's a, a big benefit in, is around understanding the impact of attacks. And this is especially the, you know, the financial impact of attacks. And I think there's value here for, and I, I've seen actually over, over the last few years that more and more cyber insurance providers have actually started to partner with and actually in some scenarios acquire um, um, security companies. And the, the big push for them there is to try to better understand cyber risk. I think that's where insurance companies are actually providing a bit more insight into industry in general in terms of how things actually uh, work and what, what are, you know, what's the actual tangible real world and actually intangible in some regards impact of, of cyber attacks beyond kind of the only the technical focus. Indeed. Um, it's my understanding that some, most, probably all cyber insurance companies insist that if you are going to call them in to help, I claim on your policy, basically, that everything does have to be done by the book. So they will insist that the regulator is correctly informed. They will insist that law enforcement is brought in if that is necessary or appropriate. And they will essentially go by the book in a way that helps the rest of us learn how not to be a victim in future. You know, although I'm not trying to victim blame them, I'm just saying that's a great way of us collectively pushing back against the crooks. Yeah, yeah, complete, I completely agree. Uh, and I think the reality is um, with the cyber insurance industry, as kind of many financial service industries, they're heavily, heavily regulated. Um, and because of that, just like you mentioned, Paul, there, there is this nudge towards everything being done by the book, things being very clearly laid out, things being very well documented. So insurance providers even engage with, for example, you know, we traditionally talk about incident response providers and, and breach counsel and general counsel and so on. But insurance providers also actively engage with, with people like forensic accountants, for example, because the idea is there that they can have a really good understanding of what's the kind of financial impact of attacks? What does this mean for the business? How much will this cost the business? Because of course, all this information feeds into how much the insurance provider actually pays out in terms of when a claim is made. So, Let's move on then to the final question that I wanted to cover, which is how, as a community, both as cyber insurance provider, but also as a company buying insurance, how can we make this work best for us? Because clearly there are going to be some cases where even a well-defended, well-intentioned, on-the-ball company suffers a cyber incident, and it doesn't have to be ransomware. It could just be something that causes their business to stumble really badly. How can we make cyber insurance work for us the best rather than just going, oh, well, I've got 20,000 to spend on cybersecurity. Do I spend it on actually trying to keep the crooks out or do I just buy an insurance policy and hope for the best? Yeah, I mean, this is a really good, really good question. And I do think that the, the answer to the question really is in thinking about a, a comprehensive kind of risk management strategy. Um, so a bit of research that I, I co-led, funded by the National Cybersecurity Centre, the NCSC in the UK, 
was trying to explore this, this reality of how does cyber insurance fit with, with the broader question of cyber security. And I think the answer really to your question, Paul, is, is grounded in the fact that cyber insurance is a part of, of cybersecurity um, risk management. Comp- and should, companies should never view cyber insurance as this thing that basically you buy some cyber insurance so you forget about cybersecurity. What you should think about instead is that, okay, well, in trying to kind of do comprehensive risk management, um, you will try to put things in place. You know, you go through your risk analysis, you go through identifying and prioritizing your, your risk and so on. And then you identify that, okay, well, there's a certain amount of uh, risk you want to specifically control. And there's some risk, actually kind of residual risk that, you know, it maybe it costs too much to kind of protect against these risks or these risks are very, very low likelihood or, or very low impact. And then you decide as an organization, okay, well, these risks, you know what, these risks we want to buy cyber insurance for. And I think that's probably the, the, the kind of the way a company should be looking at this in that it's not a scenario of buying of, you know, you have 30,000 pounds or 100,000 pounds or whatever, you know, that's your, your quote unquote security budget. And then you're thinking, oh, well, I'll just spend all that budget to buy a, a nice shiny cyber insurance policy. It shouldn't be that, you know, cyber insurance should be looked at as this, this vehicle that can actually tackle or, or help address residual risk. So in situations where you want to transfer a bit of risk that you, you know, you try to tackle it as much as you can as an organization, but there's this bit of excess risk that you need to, that you want to kind of still cover and you outsource this to a cyber insurance company. And the reality is that in cases where a cyber attack happens and you know your controls fail or your controls don't address the risk to much to the extent to which you expected, then cyber insurance can kick in and it can kick in. And of course it can provide these, uh, like I mentioned before, it can provide these incident response services and so on and so forth. You know, you made the point yourself, Paul, that cyber insurance providers aren't here to just pay out. We shouldn't look at them as that. And then they'll, they'll tell you that, you know, they aren't here to just to just to pay out and cover incidents. Cyber insurance providers will all have a portfolio of risk that they're looking at and they'll be looking at managing their risk as much, as much and as best as possible. And insurance providers are not going to take on a bad risk. That's not in their, in their best interest. So they will be trying to kind of engage with, with organizations to try to reduce risk to a reasonable extent. And then from that point, then they'll be willing to underwrite the policy. Yes, that reminds me of a conversation I had with a, a cyber insurance person. Now, this is going back a couple of years, so it's before the shakeout in the market. Um, and he made the point that if you are going to invest in cyber insurance, then you should be prepared to do more work sitting down with the, the cyber insurance company that you're thinking of going with to try and work out what you want, not because cyber insurance companies are incompetent or expect you to do the work, but because this is also new. And you know, he made the point that if you're looking at something like life insurance or insuring ships at sea, there are statistical and actuarial tables for those risks literally going back centuries. So we have a good idea of kind of how those work and and what influences them over time. Collectively, nobody really has that with cyber insurance and cybersecurity because A, it's so new and B, it is so volatile because the crooks find it sadly, rather easy to adapt their attacks as we put up new defences. So I think yeah. part of the answer here is that it's not just a question of going, oh, let's, let's find a provider that fits our price point. It's also making sure that you're getting, that you're actually buying the right cover for the things that are genuinely likely to be a problem for you. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and this is another key point, actually, when it comes to thinking about policies and, and thinking about which policy you, you want to get. And it's really, really important to sit down with either your insurance provider, your, your broker, and try to kind of figure out and get to the bottom of what's the best policy for you, for your organization. But also another really big difference, actually, you know, with, with cyber compared to some of these other domains, you know, maritime and so on, is that the, the risk is so dynamic and people can upskill. So criminals, a criminal could not exist today and a, a massive criminal group could just exist tomorrow. We have things like ransomware as a service, denial of service attacks and so on, you know, botnets of a service. And one of the things that actually worries cyber insurers probably the most is that, you know, in, we, we know from, especially from hist historic records, when it comes to natural disasters and so we know kind of what's the, the maximum impact. We know what the catastrophic event is. So we, you know kind of what's the worst things can get. With cyber, I don't think anyone knows what's the worst, you know, what's the absolute worst case event. But there's still, a, you know, a lot of kind of apprehension from security providers and from actually insurers about, well, what is the catastrophic attack? What is the attack that is, you know, the, the mother of all attacks? And that really worries insurers because insurers like to know what is the maximum, you know, how bad could things get? Because they feature that in also to their actuarial models. Excellent. Uh, Jason, I think that's a, a fantastic point on which to end. And just to conclude by saying that cyber insurance can really help your business because it could be the difference between failing completely and having to go out of business and being able to survive if crooks do get the better of you. Uh, but that it's not just at the moment something you can tick a box on a screen and go, yeah, I'll add that. It's something that you need to sit down with your proposed cyber insurer and make sure you're getting the right cover and that you're doing the right things in the first place that justify the sort of low premium that you want, which make it correspondingly much less likely that you would ever need to claim in the first place. So Jason, thank you so much for joining us. That has been very insightful indeed. And to everybody who tuned into this webinar, thank you so much for taking part. All that remains for me, apart from thanking Jason, is to say, until next time, stay secure. Stay secure.